Hey, what is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cat podcast. This is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on X at Jason underscore OTC, or you can email me, Jason at OverTheCap.com. Uh, been a little bit before, uh, you know, since our last podcast that we did here. Um, time got away a little bit there. A um, couple of things going on, I guess, at home with the kids and uh, just some activities they had going on. And then we were away for the Thanksgiving week. We uh, we took a trip and some of you figured out from the Dis- uh, from the Twitter feed. Um, yeah, we took a trip to Disney uh, for Thanksgiving. So that was our... Um, that was our kind of the two weekends there, so there there was really no way to get a uh, podcast in there. So uh, kind of back, I think, on our regular schedule now. I don't think we have any trips planned out uh, anymore, so we should be home for most of the time, and um, hopefully won't get too too busy, um, you know, over the holiday season. Um, so hopefully we'll get some time to do these each week, and then we start to roll into you know free agency and everything else. Uh, I forgot to mention, joined by Nelly the Bunny. Hey, Nelly. Nelly's half asleep already. Um, beer of the night. Yeah, it's a sad night. If you're following on YouTube, you can see the sadness. We've got the Michelob Ultra tonight. Michelob Ultra. It's a, it's a bad evening. We've got some uh, a lot of Southern Tier in the fridge. We've got some uh, IPA Southern Tier. And um, I was able to snag a six-pack of their Christmas beer, uh, which is great. Um, so I was like, All right, I'll get that, too. But uh, after being away for the week, I thought was, all right, we've done enough uh, day drinking to kind of hold me over, I think, for, uh, for a little bit. So we got to uh, cut back a little. So we figure we'll do a one week with the uh, low calorie, carb, whatever you want to call it, waters, basically. Um, so we got that going on tonight. Uh, hopefully you guys are having something a little bit better than this. But uh, I think by next week, if not next week, then the week thereafter. Um, we'll be back to our regular, you know, regular uh, drinks. Um, that'll be a little bit, uh, a little bit better than this one. Um, so you know, where to start? There's really not a ton going on in the league right now. Uh, I think right now it's, um, you know, most of the stuff is pretty slow. We're, we're going into the end of the season. Everyone's kind of jockeying for playoff position, and you know, you, you kind of get that. Um, for me, at least how much I really dislike the fact that they have this extra wild card spot. Um, it's just not often enough that I think the league has that many teams that are really deserving of going to the playoffs. Uh, I think it does dilute the regular season a little bit. And when you look at some of these teams that are vying for a playoff spot, um, it's pretty it's pretty rough. You know, that you, you look at those squads and, you know, Obviously, Buffalo right now, I think, is on the outside looking in, and that's a team that the league, I'm sure, wants to be in there. Um, you know, and they, they would be a live team, certainly, if they make it in. But, um, you know, it, it's just, it, it really takes things down a notch, I think, when they when they have the system this way. Uh, but, you know, really what I wanted to mainly talk about today, and this has just been kind of building up for a couple of weeks here, and I got a little bit out doing the uh, Badlands podcast, the... Um, on Tuesday, uh, but it, it's just talking about the Jets, and you know, once again, you know, a season that started out so promising with uh, you know Aaron Rodgers coming in and the defense that was expected to be good and has been pretty good, um, you know, for the most part. So, you know, it, it just feels like the year is pretty much done. Um, the Jets had the good win against Philadelphia. 
And I know right now there's a lot of negativity, so you see people kind of dis, um, discounting that win. You can discount wins the Jets have had this year. That, to me, is not one of those games. That was a really good game that the Jets played. I thought that was a, um, a legitimate win uh, for the team, much more so, actually, than I thought the Buffalo and the Kansas City wins earlier in the year. Uh, those those were games where the quarterbacks just went into this weird... Um, for Josh Allen, it's not that weird. I mean, he does it from time to time. Uh, where you, you just kind of go into this, uh, <clears throat> you know, the you only live once, this kind of carefree, you're not really paying attention, and you just do stupid stuff, and it comes back to bite you. You know, you leave a team hanging around, and you make enough mistakes, and that team can win a game. The, the Jets have been able to do that the last two years, um, you know, pulling some games out like that. Philadelphia wasn't one of those games, but you, you got the feeling that Philadelphia was like the peak of the team. And whether that was teams focusing in a little bit more, um, you know, I, I think if we kind of go back and you, you look at it, and I believe it's after that game where the coach, you know, Sala came out and he did that. Um, he's got a lot of similarities to Rex Ryan. Um, you know, at, at least I think with the, the attitude, I, I guess. Um but anyway, you know, he came out and he talked about embarrassing all the quarterbacks. And, you know, I, I think teams kind of, I almost feel like that that kind of made teams focus a little bit harder on the Zach Wilson-led Jets, at the time, the Zach Wilson-led Jets, um, and doing what they could do, embarrass the Jets' offense. And they've really embarrassed the offense over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it was a miracle to beat the Jets beat the Giants. Um you know that that's a game that you just you just look at that game and you go okay we escaped with a win like don't don't go out there and start saying that was a good win that was a giants loss that wasn't a jets win that was a giants loss and you know after that you you pretty much go out there and you know you try hard against the chargers but you just can't do anything and then the last two weeks or the last two games um you know they're both basically the same week right the buffalo and uh Miami games, I mean, you got obliterated um, offensively, defensively, I mean, everything. And, you know, the team is not disciplined, um, you know, and I, and I get how some of that stuff happens, especially on defense. You know, you're frustrated. You, you're, you know, you've gotten to the point where you, you feel as if you're wasting, um, you know, another season of your career. Uh, based on how bad the offense is, and this offense stinks. I mean, th this is this is maybe the worst Jets offense that I've ever seen, and that that covers a lot of ground. Um, but that's really how bad it's been. I mean, they're just completely ineffective. Um, you know, the the first game, the the one that was against um, Buffalo, I was in. Uh, Epcot for that. I was in Epcot for both <laughs> both of those games. Um, going around the world, drinking some beers while watching the Jets is a better way to watch them. Um, anyway, I actually, for the first game, it was more listening than watching. Uh, I was having some issues for some reason being able to, to watch the feed, even though I was logging through my cable provider. Um, was able to watch the one on Amazon with uh, less of an issue. But... <clears throat> uh, yeah, I make a comment somewhere in there, which is probably true, 
you know, what's going to happen? The Jets are going to have more net yards on offense or I'm going to drink more beers. And for a while, it looked like the beer count was probably going to win. Um, you know, it, it's it's just a brutal, brutal offense. They can't do anything. There's no, there's no continuity. Um, there's nothing that's focused on their approach. You know, it, it's all just like randomness um, for what they call. It's like the whole offense is hope this guy breaks a big play, hope that guy breaks a big play, hope we don't make a, a back-breaking mistake, and we'll just punt the rest of the time. And, you know, it, it's just an awful way to play offense. And you realize that the offensive construction of the team is basically like, okay, we got Aaron Rodgers to say he wants to come to New York and he'll just fix whatever. Um, yeah, I see a lot of people who are out there saying, you know, you, you've got to fire the offensive coordinator. You just went through that and you've gotten worse. So, you know, I, I think that's something that, that is really annoying and, you know, really frustrating with watching this team is that they've gone backwards. And, you know, at, at least last year and the year before that, you know, you, you would bring in a guy like a Mike White, um, Flacco occasionally. Flacco didn't score points, but they moved the ball. Um, maybe Johnson was there for a game. But, you know, they, they, they moved the ball. When Zach Wilson was out, they moved the football. And there were times where you looked at it and go, that's what this offense can be, that's what this team can be when they have competent quarterback play. And your focus then strictly becomes Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is not the reason the Jets stink this year. Um, yeah, if Zach Wilson was a, a great quarterback, maybe they wouldn't stink so bad. But he's not the reason they stink. Zach Wilson this year was passable as a bottom-of-the-league backup or you know third-string-style quarterback. Um he wasn't that the last two years. The last two years, he was an XFL quarterback. At least for this this season, I would look at that and say, okay, he's just a he's just a really bad quarterback um, that belongs, you know, way down the list of players that would be second stringers, and you know, maybe belongs on the string of third third string tier. Um, but. You know, Wilson um, Wilson got benched, and, you know, they're, they're looking for a spark. And you bring in Tim Boyle, and it's like, well, what is what are you going to get from that? Um, not much, but I, I'm sure that makes Aaron Rodgers happy. Um, you know, and Rodgers returns to practice now. I, I feel like that's more of a uh, motivational thing than anything else. But, you know, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see on that. But, you know, the, the Jets... I don't understand the defense that comes up for some of the things that have gone on. Now, there's also people that go to the other extreme, you know, when, when we're discussing it. But you've got to focus at this point more on Joe Douglas and the job that he's done with the team. And I know he's well-respected around the league, and there's a lot of people that like him. But <clears throat> he's been there for five years or so now, five, six years. and He's one of the longest-tenured GMs in the league at this point. Haven't had a winning season, 
haven't been anywhere near the playoffs. They've barely played a meaningful game in December. Um, you can't look at them and say they've gotten better. You know, they're, they're no better now than they were under Adam Gase. And that's that. That's really rough. You know, that that's really, really, really bad. And um, I don't know how people can go out there and with a straight face. I don't know how they said it before, but I still don't know how people are still saying it at times now where they go, oh, he's one of the best GMs in the league. How can you be one of the best general managers in the league when over the last like five years, I think they're the second worst record in the NFL? I think the only team worse is Carolina over that period of time. How can you say that that is the best general, one of the best general managers in the NFL? There's no way that you can say that. You know, if, if you said the Jets were on a path um, similar like the Jaguars, right? Jaguars stink almost every year. Make the playoffs last year, show a couple signs of life. This year, you know, kind of the same thing. They show signs of life. So you're, you're seeing a, a team that has improved, you know, year over year over year, even though the front end of those five years is pretty bad. Um, now, a lot of that comes from Trevor Lawrence, but, you know, they, they also had to draft other players. They went out in free agency and they signed players. Um, you know, so at least if that was the path that you were on, you could say, all right, you know, he, he's going in the right direction and you, you see it with the draft picks and you see it with this, that, and the other thing. It's just not there. You know, there's nothing that you you can really lean back on and say, yeah, you know, this is a this is a top job that's being done. You know, th this is a bottom of the league job. You know, when you build an offense like this, and this is not like free agency. You know, you can't build an offense in free agency. He's tried through the draft. Everybody has sucked. Right, Mackay Becton is always hurt. He's not good. You know, he's okay when he plays. You know, maybe he can still develop. I don't know. Zach Wilson is one of the worst picks I, I think historically that you're going to find. It, historically, meaning in the the new rookie contract era, not not going back to the Jamarcus Russells of the world that had these you know crazy contracts that came along with being a bad football player. Um, Zach Wilson's about as bad as it gets. Um, you know, and the, the fact that they doubled down on him just makes it even worse. Uh, Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, you know, just awful. Um, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, you know, he's good when he plays, but missed half of last year, missed half, this, half of this year. You know, if that's a player on another team, you know, he's injury problem. Like, he's no good. You know, Brees Hall, you know, you, you've seen, you know, the, the you see the explosiveness that's there. But he's not meant to be one of these players that's just going to trudge out these yards. I, I don't know why the coach is criticizing him. He's not wrong about you know what he's saying, but it's like his game is big plays, and you've basically coached him for a year, probably a, a first year of his career, and then a quarter of this season, saying big play, big play, big play. And now when things are going bad, you're expecting him to, to stand back there and take a two-yard gain. You know, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, there's players that have been fine. You know, obviously, Sauce Gardner is great. Um, I'd say he fits on the elite football tier. 
You know, that's defense. Uh, defense. Um, you know, Garrett Wilson is very good. Great, probably. I don't think you'd put him in the elite tier. There's too many plays that I think, uh, you know, he misses. And I, I know that most of it, a lot of it gets blamed on the quarterback. But, you know, he does have some issues here and there with some drops. Um, and I know some of it is probably figures he's going to get laid out. Um, but the, the top line receivers usually don't have that. So, you know, if the Jets ever get a decent quarterback, you'll, you'll get a better feel for where he is. Um, but he's certainly a good player. Um, you know, and that that's that's pretty much his run. Uh, Jermaine Johnson is going to be pretty good. Um, you know, I, I think he's he's come along nicely. I think he'll he'll be a... Um, I, I don't know if he'll be a, a top-line guy, um, but he'll be pretty good. But again, you know, that that's a defensive player. And, you know, you, you look at what the Jets have done in free agency... Um, they've done very poor job of trying to build their offensive line. Um, you know, with a couple of their signings they've made, uh, the tight ends both overpaid. Uh, I think Conklin is better than people sometimes give him credit for. Um, you know, Uzama's just a body, you know, he's, uh, you know, locker room guy. So is Conklin. They're, they're both locker room guys, but, you know, to have, uh, that kind of spending a tight end between the two players and just have such little production. I mean, that's a whiff. Um, Alan Lazard is a whiff. Corey Davis was pretty much a whiff. Uh, Mecole Hardman was certainly a whiff. Um, you know, you, you go up and down the list and it's just like miss, 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 miss. You go on the defensive side and it's completely different. You know, they've done a good job, um, you know, in free agency. You know, DJ Reed, uh, terrific. Jordan Whitehead has been pretty good. Um, certainly better this year than he was last year. Um... You know, they, they've done fine with that. They've gotten good claims. Um, you know, Quincy Williams, you know, terrific find. John Franklin Myers, terrific find. Um, they've done a good job developing players on that side of the football. That's not what wins in the NFL anymore. You know, and I think that that's another thing that drives me nuts. And it's not just when discussing the Jets. It's discussing all kind of teams in the NFL. Sorry, I had to fix that there. Um, you know, it, it's about discussing all the teams in the NFL when you, you get into these um, different things where we fall into these traps when we evaluate teams. And it's when we build teams, too. Um, you know, when we go into free agency, and obviously there's more defensive talent in free agency. So, you know, I get that. But a lot of times with the draft and the way that um, people focus on it and the things that we do, you know, you, you kind of fall back into these cliches of like the 1985 Bears, um, you know, and you, you hear these things like, oh, the Jets have a Super Bowl defense that's being wasted. If only they could find their Trent Dilfer. That kind of team that wins barely exists anymore. Um, you know, the, the last team that I, I think you would go to as... You know, a, a not a very functional offense was probably the year the Broncos beat the Panthers. And, you know, that, that was just a good matchup for them because the Panthers were not a good offensive team. They were a one-player offense. And, uh, you know, Denver had a, a pretty good defense that year. Um, you know, they, they could do enough offensively to get through. 
Uh, and then you had Seattle, you know, with the Legion of Boom teams. But, you know, Seattle did have Russell Wilson. And, um, you know, it's not to say Russell Wilson was great, but, you know, Russell Wilson was a passable, probably above average for the time NFL quarterback. Um, you know, saying that the, the Jets have, a, they're wasting a Super Bowl defense, this isn't what you need to be a Super Bowl team. You know, being a Super Bowl team these days really is not defensive focused. Having a, a Super Bowl defense is basically just having a functional defense. Like, Miami's defense, that's not a Super Bowl defense. Uh, I think Detroit will have a problem because of their defense. Um, you know, all you're looking for is a defense that is average or slightly above average. And a lot of times, you know, the team might perform above average in part because of the offense. Um, <clears throat> you know, a team's defense, I mean, because you, you're putting teams in, um, you know, kind of bad spots and stuff like that. But, you know, having the these great defenses, it doesn't work in today's NFL. You know, to, to be able to, you know, go out there and win that way. And to continue to focus on defense all the time with the way that you, you attack your games, the way that you are building your roster for the most part, um, it's just, it, it's not it's not the way to go. Um, you know, and... So, some of the things just drive me nuts, and this is where you get into the... You, you can't win debates with people that are just fan-only and can't take a step back. And I get that, uh, you know, we get that way. You know, I get that way, too, you know, from time to time. But you always have to ask yourself, you know, when you evaluate your own team, take a step back and evaluate another team in the league. How would you evaluate that team? Now, come back to me and now talk about your team. Because the stuff, you know, and I'll put out something that's critical during a game, and you come back and everyone's like, well, the season was only lost because Aaron Rodgers is gone. And obviously, yeah, that's a huge blow. Um, but, you know, you, you, then you start running through these uh, track records here. You know, hold on, my son must have something set up here. I'm assuming that means a Discord call. One of his, I'm sure, Fortnite buddies there. Let me turn that off. Um, you know, the, the things that come back when it's like, you know, the players that I mentioned before, and it's like they'll run through all the players, and it's like Sauce Gardner Elite, Garrett Wilson Elite, Brees Hall Elite, Jermaine Johnson Elite, this player Elite, that player Elite, Makai Becton really 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 good it's like what what are you watching and th this comes from every team right um you know every fan base every team you know like atlanta i think is a great example you know talk about the tight end well he's great talk about the wide receiver he's great and you know, talk about the running back he's great um you know they, they all have great resumes but you know what is that production there on the field you can make all the excuses in the world but, I mean, look, just as a Jets example, everybody, after his rookie year, was talking up Elijah Moore like he was a great player. 
a couple games into the season last year when Elijah Moore was going nuts about not getting any targets, it was like, you've got to get this guy the ball. Like, how are you not getting him the football? You know, how is this possible? He gets traded away, and everyone's like, oh, he sucks. Like, it's a, a Joe Douglas did a great job getting anything in return for him. I thought he was great. Right? You, you just told me for the last... 32 weeks, the, the, uh, the 34, right? However many games we've got. 34 games that he is a elite player, a great second-round pick. And then you get, like, a, a pick swap and a five or whatever it was for him. It's like, oh, that's a great job by Joe Douglas. Man, we got rid of that guy. Good job. What? We're, we're, what happened to the last 34 weeks? If he's great, we just got to get him the ball. And that's what happens. And you, you can't have discussions. You can't have rational discussions um, with people where that's the take on all this. Now, you, you also can't have discussions with people that just have it out for someone from day one. You, 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 like I said, there, there's plenty of positives that have come from his tenure. Um, but in terms of building a functional NFL team, it's been negative. You know, it hasn't been even remotely positive. Um, you know, you, you go in the next year, and this is what people are talking a, a bit about, and, you know, I just pulled up the Jets' calculator numbers, again, if you're following along on video. Um, you know, Jets have about $30.3 in cap room next year. Uh, that is the bottom third of the league, but, you know, they, they can bring that number up. Um, you know, you, you can do a whole bunch of things. So, you know, you restructure C.J. Mosley... That creates about 12. Um, cut Dwayne Brown. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong year. Uh, let me undo that. Let me do C.J. Mosley's restructure. Creates about 10.5. Uh, Dwayne Brown is going to be gone no matter what. Uh, you can do whatever you want with Lakin Tomlinson. Um, Zach Wilson's the same whether he stays or goes. Aaron Rodgers the lowest he can get. Um, you know, you can restructure D.J. Reed. You'll create seven. Um, and that, that's without adding void years. Cut Uzama, cut Conklin, restructure Quinnen. You know, that's about $10 million in savings on that restructure. Um, John Franklin Myers, you can restructure him. You know, that saves you nine. Um, you're not going to touch Alan Lazard because that's just a bad deal. Um, Quincy Williams doesn't really get you much, but let's just restructure it anyway. That'll save you 3-6. Um, you know, you, you do those numbers and you're up to about $83 million in cap room. Now, one of the things with the cap space right now, I'm estimating a 255 cap. I've been told that that's probably going to be much lower than that. Um, it's all relative. You know, the, the position in the league is still all relative. <clears throat> we'll get some clarity on that, I think, um, in about a week and a half. Usually that's when the first set of numbers get floated around as to what they expect the uh, the cap to be. Usually they give a range, you know, three to five million bucks, something like that. Um, and so we'll get an idea. There's still a lot of borrowing and uh, there's money payback still to the on the PA's end of stuff that's, uh, I think, bringing those cap numbers down from where they should be. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, the Jets can get up. It's just a question of... 
how much do you want to double down on a lot of players on the roster? And I know we can look at the defense and say, okay, yeah, well, we should double down on these players. They're really good. You know, good today does not mean good tomorrow. And with the defense, and the, the Jets have had a good defense two years in a row now. Um, but, you know, usually that that's more the exception than the rule. So, you know, that that's just something they have to ask themselves. And then the next thing they have to do is they got to have a very open discussion with Aaron Rodgers about really what he's thinking for next year. Um, now, I believe that he wants to play football. I, I don't think that he wants to go out like this. But, you know, you have to make certain that he wants to play, and you have to make certain that he wants to play for your team. You know, you, you can't... The, the, the path that the Jets take in the offseason is going to vary greatly based on Rodgers being here or not. Uh, the coach's future and the general manager's future might be tied to Rodgers being here. Um, you know, the way things are looking, the Jets have a chance for top five pick. And you've got to take quarterback. I don't care if Rodgers is here or not. But you have to make certain that he's not going to pout if you take a quarterback. You know, he's 40 years old coming off an Achilles tear. You know, if you have a chance to take a quarterback, you know, you have to take him. I don't know if Joe Douglas should be the guy making that kind of pick. You know, he botched it once. And uh, hasn't really done much anything when it came to the offense. But, um, you know, Rodgers plays a pivotal role. And, you know, Rodgers is here. You're going to go out and you're going to trade for Devontae Adams. I mean, I, I think that's a given. Um, you know, you, you, you're going to bring a player like that in. Probably bringing in David Bakhtiari. Um, you're probably going to talk about Randall Cobb having a much better potential next year. Um, than he had this year, and he'll probably be back. Uh, you know, you'll hope you'll get more out of Lazard with Rodgers back. And, you know, you're going to have guys around the league that you're bringing in to play with Aaron Rodgers. Um, if Rodgers is gone, then it becomes more, even much more so, a discussion about where do we go as an organization. Um you know, if you have a top five pick and Rodgers doesn't really want to play here anymore, well, now you probably need to make that decision of new coach, new general manager, and you're just starting over. You know, you're just like, okay, you know, you you try to work through all the mistakes that have been made. Um, you know, you get rid of everybody that's on the coaching staff on the offensive side. Um, defensive side. I mean, you you can interview your defensive coaches to to promote them, um, you know, to a, a head coaching position. Um, I would think you'd probably want a clean start, but you know they've done a good job. So I mean, I, I think you could have that discussion at least. But for the other stuff, I mean, you, you've those guys are out. I mean, I I don't see how if Rogers doesn't come back. I don't see how in the world you retain the people that have just done nothing uh, when it's come to building a better overall team. And again, I, I don't want to hear about how great the defense is if the team still is nothing more than a four or five, six win team. You know, if you were a five win team with Sam Darnold and Adam Gase or however many they won, you know, I think it was seven one year and four the next I don't, everybody quit in the the next year um 
or whatever the number was. But, you know, what's the difference? You know, just because there, there's a couple of players that are, are, you know, playing better and you want to look at it and, you know, the, the defensive performance in a lot of these games gives you a, you know, false sense of hope. Um, you know, there, there's just no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel if that's what you're doing. Um, you know, and, and if you want to say, well, you know, if they'd been able to draft Trevor Lawrence, maybe things would be different. That might be the case, but they didn't get a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, if that's the thing, like how much credit do you give the general manager at that point? You know, if we're crediting a general manager with drafting Trevor Lawrence, you know, finishing bad enough to get the number one overall pick, um, or, you know, having a quarterback that you didn't, you know, you, you did a good job in attempting to negotiate whatever kind of trade uh, package that there was for Aaron Rodgers when you had zero leverage, really, because of the way the trade went down. They're very minimal leverage because of that. But it's not like you went out there and sealed this this deal. This was more Aaron Rodgers, like, I don't want to play with Green Bay anymore. Jets have said they want me. I'll go play in New York. Like, that. that's what that was about. That wasn't about the, the masterful, you know, um you know, building of a team, you know, it's not, uh, and and I know in hindsight, this is probably a, a so-so kind of thing because of maybe where the team is now, though they're competing for the playoffs, uh, the Rams, you know, th- this is not, you know, the Rams going out there and being very aggressive in a trade package to bring in a Matthew Stafford who ends up, you know, winning a Super Bowl, um, you know, with them. It, it's not that it, it's a it's a different scenario I think than than that type of um, you know that type of team building. But you know they're, they're going to have to they're going to have to have some really tough decisions here um, in the off season and you know it stinks to be a Jets fan right now it really does. Um, hopefully they they can pull out a win against Atlanta they desperately need it. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to. Um, you know, that, that team is pretty challenged as well. But, you know, I, I can't expect the Jets offense to do anything. So, unless Atlanta makes, like, four really bad errors and the Jets' defense somehow turns those into 14 points, um, you know, it's it's still just going to be tough, um, you know, for the Jets. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to talk about them a little bit and I don't know, see whatever happens for the rest of the season. Maybe get a miracle finish and maybe they'll, they'll find a way to uh, sneak in. Um, but I guess we'll see. Uh, so next, you know, let's talk about Von Miller for a minute here. Yeah, so there was a uh, arrest warrant, I guess, that was issued for Miller uh, in Dallas. And um, I haven't really followed up much on it, but I know I got a lot of questions about it. Um, very quietly, I mean, th- this has been... It, when they the Bills made this signing, it was just like, eh, this is not a good signing. Um, you know, and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse, um, I think, for them. 
But, you know, th this does kind of present a unique thing because you have a situation here where Von Miller has $10.7 million already guaranteed next year. Uh, if you're following along, you can see it on his chart here. He's got 10.7. Um, basically, this entire salary is guaranteed for injury. You know, it's about a $17 million salary. Um, that number uh, will become fully guaranteed. $10 million is fully guaranteed right now. 10.7. Uh, fifth day of the league year. Um, basically, the balance, $6.435 million, is uh, also guaranteed. Now, he runs a risk of having those guarantees void, which can give the Bills an out in the contract. Um, you know, it's still rough, you know, on the salary cap. It'd be a $22 million, you know, dead money hit, uh, 21.791. So, really barely even saves him anything. Only saves him $2 million on the cap if that was to happen. But, um, you know, long term, obviously, that that's a lot better for them. And this has not been a... Uh, you know, great signing by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the way that his contract works, and this, this is the way a lot of player contracts work, um, there's a number of things that can void the guarantees. So the two things that would come into play here, I guess three if you want to get into conduct detrimental, um, you're looking at conduct detrimental to, um, to the team, uh, you're looking at a league suspension under the, um, you know, the conduct policy, um, you know, and then the other one that's a possibility is if he does actually go to jail um, and that causes him to miss time, uh, you know, that can void those guarantees as well. Now, none of that to the, to my knowledge is happening. He certainly hasn't been suspended. Um, so... You know the the conduct detrimental and the uh, the NFL suspensions haven't come up at all, um, and I would imagine that he's you know set to play or at least he's not if he's not playing this week if it's been announced that he's not playing and I just haven't seen it, um, you know that's not him missing a game, um, you know now some people said well why why can't the Bills just release him like this is you know, obviously it's terrible uh, what he's being accused of. Um, why didn't the Bills just release him, you know, outright? And right now they don't have the cap room to do it. Um, the Bills have, in 2023, yeah. Bills right now have about $1.5 in cap space. Give it a plus or minus 500000 So somewhere between $1 and $2 million in cap room. Uh, if they were to cut Von Miller... Um, this 10.71 million that's guaranteed would accelerate onto the 2023 cap. They wouldn't be able to process that transaction because it would put them over the salary cap. So they can't cut him until something happens. Now, the league with these kind of things is typically pretty slow because you've got a whole legal process that, you know, has to play out. So, Realistically, the, the only out that Buffalo would have this year, if they were looking for it, uh, would be if he was arrested and his arrest led to him basically being put in jail and because he was uh, incarcerated, he missed practice and or, and or a game or whatever. At that point, the Bills have the, the ability to void the guarantee. Um, so if that were to occur... 
yeah, those guarantees would probably void. The other stuff, um, you know, would take time. You know, a lot of it. Um, you know, and we, we see it all the time how, how slow the league is with some of the stuff. And, you know, maybe something can happen sooner rather than later, um, you know, on that front. But, you know, really the, the timing of it at that point really doesn't matter um, for the NFL. Uh, or for the bills from the NFL, because even it, even if he hits the vesting date, it's not like it matters if he gets suspended after the vesting date. That still voids the guarantee, and so you, you would get out of the deal the next year. It, it's more just about being able to release him this year if, if you know, whatever investigation they do pretty much proves out that he is, uh, you know, guilty, um, you know, or likely guilty, and, you know, you want to get rid of him. But without that, I, I don't think they have the ability, you know, because they, they've gone so all in on this season. You know, I'm just pulling up their cap page here. I'm just seeing if they have any players, you know, that have base salaries that would be high enough to create $10 million in cap room. Because what they can always do is if you can create the cap space, you can cut them, withhold the money, and let everything go into a grievance process. That the league would allow. But... Um, I don't think that, I don't think the league would allow uh, the bills to just say, uh, we avoid your guarantees that avoids the cap issue that comes with the release. Um, you know, and yeah, if he files a grievance, he files a grievance, but it, the, the grievance would even put them over because the, the grievance would be, um, I think 4 million on the cap. I think they count. 40% of the grievance on the cap. Uh, I think it's how that typically works. But, you know, they could probably create that much cap room. You know, Morse has a $6 million salary. Deion Dawkins has a 3-6. Micah Hyde has a 5-3. But you've only got a couple of weeks. So they probably couldn't even create to get up to that much cap room. So I don't, I don't think there's a way they can actually do it. Um... Unless something was absolutely firm that those guarantees next year were uh, void. Um, so, you know, I thought that was one to bring up. Uh, Zach Ertz would be the other one. Um, I didn't really understand this whole thing. And I already moved him off the roster. So I'm only going to have a contract history up here. If I pull it up. Zach Ertz. You know, so Zach Ertz, this was a... You know, th this is one of those where you trade for a player and you, because of that, you, you go and you resign him when there probably wasn't a reason for them to do that. Um, at least not to the, the level of contract I think that they did. Um, you know, Ertz's career was not, um, was not the Kelsey career. You know, it was not the, uh, you know, the, the end of year uh, end of career kind of stuff, um, you know, that you saw with Kelsey and, you know, I'm just pulling up his yardage totals here. Are these numbers right? He only had 189 yards in 2017, uh, 2021. Well, uh, maybe something's wrong with our, uh, with our numbers here. Hold on. Let's take a look here. Whoops. Whoops. whoops, whoops. Let's just get rid of that. Um, let's see. Let's 
Zacherts. I know this year he didn't have much. I'm just going to pro football reference. Yeah, we had something that's wrong there. So it was 189 yards with Philadelphia, 763 total. But uh, yeah, 406 and 187 is, um, you know, what was the last two years in Arizona. I mean, they, they've gotten like no production out of him. Uh, very limited production over the two years um, that he's been there. But it was like a weird thing. So, you know, he had uh, $8.5 million of his salary was guaranteed. He had an $8.75 million base. Had they cut him, you know, he could file a claim for termination pay, um, you know, for an extra $250,000. I doubt he would do that. Um, but, you know, they went through this whole wonky process, which is, Basically, you know, we're, we're going to, um, what do they say they would do? If, if, as long as he was willing to forego one game check, they'd give him his release. And I didn't get the whole purpose of it. I didn't really understand. It seems like a lot to do for really no reason. Um, maybe they save a couple hundred thousand dollars at the end of the day. Um, you know, but that, that's really about it. And, you know, technically he's still eligible for termination pay, but I know there, there also was a settlement that they did. So, you know, they, they may have done something where, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you know, he's no longer eligible for termination pay. Um, you know, you know, he may have waived that right in whatever kind of settlement they came up with, um, you know, so he could try to land with another football team. But it was just kind of an odd, um, odd situation. I thought there. I thought that was kind of a, a weird one. Um, you know. So ultimately, for those two years, the uh, Cardinals will have paid him. Let's see, about ten seven last year. Uh, let's see, how much did he earn this year? This year you had to earn around eight. I mean, it's a lot that they ended up paying him. Yeah, ten million, ten million in cash this year, ten million last year, ten six. So you know, twenty point six million for seven hundred yards over two years. Um, they're gonna chalk that one up as a bad signing too. Now he'll go and sign with someone, and again, maybe he did, but. Uh, you know, it'll be the minimum one point one six five million. Um, you know, prorated for the rest of the year, so about you know three hundred twenty thousand, three fifty, something like that, uh, is all you need in cap room. So, pretty much anybody that wants him can sign him. But uh, I, I think right now he's more of a name than anything else. Now, that can lead to something, right? Yeah, Jimmy Graham is still in the league, uh, so you know, ha having a name means you can keep playing if you want to play. Um, so, you know, maybe Philadelphia would be the team if they haven't signed him already just because, you know, he's, you know, that, that's, that's where his career was made. Um, you know, and maybe he could, he could slot in there and, um, do something effective for them. Um, you know, possibly. Uh, all right. So I think, I don't know, you know what, we can talk about the Panthers for a minute. Um, you know, I talked about the Jets and their ineptness. The, the Panthers make the Jets look like, uh. You know, great organization here. Um, I fired Frank Reich for the remainder of the season. I don't really get it. 
unless he basically said, just fire me. Like, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't let him, you know, go the rest of the year. Like, it, it's not it's not as if another couple of weeks is going to destroy your quarterback, who's looked terrible. Um, he was a rookie. You know, it happens. Um, but it, it's not like a, a couple of weeks is going to destroy him. And, uh, you know, you, you just get the feeling that the owner didn't want to make this higher made it uh, probably because the, uh, I think it was the Lions coordinator that he wanted pulled out. Um, so I, I guess he was maybe convinced that Reich was the guy. And when you look at the success CJ Stroud is having in Houston, the lack of success that his guy is having, um, you know, you, you just kind of are like, you know, whatever. Um, you know, did go out of his way to say that he believes in the quarterback and so does everybody else in that organization. Uh, wants to make sure that it's known that it was a uh, team decision, not just his decision to, uh, you know, draft him. Um, you know, and basically just threw all the guys on offense under the bus, um, you know, in, in Carolina, that it was the head coach that failed, the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach, basically. Um you know, that were all kind of failures in the development of his player. Um, they have gone through head coaches at a rate that might even make the Cleveland Browns blush. Um, that's how they, they've kind of churned through a couple of guys here. And right now, they just need some kind of direction um, with what they're doing. And... I don't know if the owner needs somebody to just kind of say, look, just give me a shot. Put me in charge. You've got to take a step back from this. Um, You know, there's a process involved here because you're going to get to a point where you become such a bad opening that it becomes difficult then to attract certain candidates, um, you know, to your job. And I know that's hard to say, you know, in the NFL, there's so few job openings that you should, you know, if you get a, an offer, you should be taking it. But, you know, sometimes people are worried that, you know, and, and there's truth to that too. You only get one opportunity a lot of times. Um, so if you only get one opportunity, you may not want it to be with an organization that's just the Panthers right now. Um, you know, there's some good people that work in that building. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard if you don't have direction from an owner or, you know, the, the owner can pull the plug, um, you know, on whatever direction might exist. You know, it becomes difficult at that point to, you know, build anything sustainable. Um you know, so I, I I feel for people right now that are Panthers fans because whatever they're doing right now, it really just, I think it just has to, to make people, um, you know, very uneasy about, you know, the, the future in Carolina. Um, you know, and 
that's another team right now that just needs a win. You just need a win to, um, I think, make the owner happy and, you know, probably kind of get him maybe out of some of what, what seems like the, uh, you know, day-to-day, um, you know, for the team. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a rough one going on right now. All right, let me take a look for some questions here, and then we'll wrap this up. Let's see. And go to email here. Um, all right, so this is going. I'm just doing a search through my email. This is from Cameron. I may have done this already. Uh, why don't all players negotiate a percentage of the guarantees be paid out as a roster bonus owed every year in March? <coughs> a lot of people try to do it. A lot of times it ends up being something that is um, a very team-driven decision. Now, if you are a, a real high-level player, you might have a little bit more leverage to be able to do that. Um, but a lot of times it's up to the teams. And... You know, I, I think what happens many times, actually, you know, just thinking about it right here off the top of my head, the early season roster bonus uh, is often used by teams that don't guarantee the salaries. Uh, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Green Bay Packers. It's almost like, okay, well, we're not going to guarantee you a penny. Let, let's say you, you signed a contract in 2023. We're not going to guarantee you a penny in 2024. But... We'll pay fifteen million of your eighteen million dollar salary in March. You know, if you're on the roster, if we still have you on the roster on March fifth, um, you know, we'll we'll give you eighty percent of your salary for the year. Um, you'll have earned it on that day. Now it doesn't mean it's getting all paid out, but you know, in a sense, it, it's it's like works very similar to a vesting guarantee, even though there's no injury protection tied to it. It works just the same as anything else um on the other hand if you're willing to guarantee a, a player his salary for the year um you know the team often kind of you know hits back when you say okay well if we've got um you know 18 million dollars guaranteed next year and i want 15 million of that as a roster bonus with half of it paid out in march um a quarter of it paid out in june and the rest paid out over uh 18 weeks, you know, the, the hit back from the team on that is, well, we're guaranteeing a salary. So it's already guaranteed. If you want it guaranteed, we'll pay it out as salary. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to do a roster bonus with actual payments that come out in March or whatever. You want to do that? Well, then let's change the guarantee that's in the contract. So I think that's kind of what comes into play when you get into those decisions. And, um, you know, you have to decide what's better. And that, that's why for a lot of those players, um, you know, they don't get those roster bonuses in there. You'll often see those roster bonuses in the last year of the contract, um, you know, acting as a, you know, a decision point for the team. And the teams are willing to do that. Why? Well, because there, there is no guarantee um, in those years. Uh, let's see what else I have here from email. Sorry if I missed anything, but if it didn't say podcast in it, I'm not pulling it up. Uh, Colby, uh, with Watson out for the season, would this be a great opportunity for what you mentioned last podcast about Jimmy uh, Garoppolo? 
Raiders cut him. Uh, Browns pick up the contract. Raiders aren't on the hook for the $10 million guarantee next year. Do you think that's likely? Um, so, you know, obviously this was sent a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think before uh, last time I, I did a podcast. Um, and obviously it didn't happen. Um, it was probably worth a shot. Um, you know, unless, unless they know that the, the front office in um, Cleveland is just really negative on uh, Garoppolo, uh, that probably would have been worth a shot. Like, I, I don't really understand why the Raiders have not been trying to, to unload that contract. Um, you know, and you, you can make those cap numbers work, or at least they could have with a couple of restructures. Um, I don't really understand why, you know, that hasn't been an avenue that they've explored. You know, when you see Zach Ertz and Derek Barnett and, you know, some of these teams basically getting rid of dead weight like that, let Jimmy Garoppolo be your dead weight that you get rid of. Um, you know, I, so I, I don't really, I don't really understand it, but, um, you know, that's the Raiders for you. All right, let's see here. Um, let's see. It looks like one more. This is from Jason. Uh, Vikings signed Marcus Davenport and gave him a per-game bonus for $2 million. Local report said that this is guaranteed, even if I, I are exception uh, for an injury to the right shoulder. Um, he's on IR for an ankle. Right, so if you have an um, injury, it's the same as, remember, what we talked about with Garoppolo months ago and, you know, when Florio started having his little crazy spat about, um, you know, the contract language in Garoppolo's contract, which we talked about months before that. Um, you know, basically, it's a pre-existing condition, and it's one of those that we're willing to pay you your per-game bonus for any injury, just not this one. Like, we, we need a percentage of your contract tied to um, a pre-existing condition that we don't want to pay for. Um, does calling this a per-game bonus allow the Vikings to get a cap credit in 2024 for the games missed in 23? He's missed nine already. Um, so it should, if they all counted on the cap um, this year, did it? Let me pull them up. Marcus Davenport. Let's see. Yeah, it looks like this all counted on the cap this year. So, yeah. So, for the, the games, um, the games missed, if he actually, you know, missed them for a reason why that per-game bonus was not paid out, um, you know, you, you would get that. But if it's tied to a specific injury, you're not going to get a credit for it because he's getting he's getting paid. Uh, which is the second part, which you've mentioned here. If no credit, then this is purely a workaround for giving a team salary relief if an injury happens to a body part they have questions about. Right. So, you know, basically it's acting in a very similar way, um, you know, as that. Uh, let's see. The reason I'm wondering this is Hunter projects to earn $3 million in sack incentives that will be charged 24 He and Longwood Cousins have dead money set to hit the cap, if not full, uh, in full. Um, $1.5 credit for Davenport would help lessen that burden. So... Um, yeah, you know, they, they're, they're going to be in some issues with, uh, with some of that stuff there, but, 
Um, I don't know the particulars on the Davenport one, but uh, I, I would imagine if the beat reporters all have that, that means they they got to look at the contract, um, you know, for what that is. So if his IR is completely unrelated to that injury, um, you know, and that's the condition of the per game bonus, it means he's going to be paid that per game bonus. So you're not going to get a cap credit for it. But if he was, you know, if he was injured for that, or if it was just a regular per game bonus, um, you know, when he was on IR, you would get a credit for that next year um, for those games missed. All right, let's go to Twitter here. Uh, I mentioned Zach Prescott. All right, let's see here. A couple questions. All right, Justin, a question I should have asked in April, but why did the Ravens extend Lamar when no one else was interested? His cap it is a true 52 instead of the 45-5 if he signed in 2022. Um, just seems like a bad deal for the Ravens as the years go on when nobody else was interested. So I don't think they knew. Um, you know, I, I think when you go back, um, you know, to the whole Lamar Jackson, Baltimore Ravens situation, I don't think that Baltimore knew, um, at least I don't think they did, as to um, what the interest level was around the league. But, you know, you, you also, you know, you're looking for a long-term solution. Um, and the fact of the matter is, if you don't offer him $52 million a year, he's not going to sign. Um you know, and yeah, you, you will get the short-term benefit of, you know, having the player, um, you know, with a lower number, whatever Jackson's tag would have been 32 this year and, uh, um, you know, 38, 40 or whatever the following year. Um, you would have that, but you'd have an unhappy player. You don't want an unhappy quarterback um, because they, they're just too important to the success of the team. Um, you know, and you, you basically run into this lame duck issue where come the third year, you're probably not going to be able to keep him, and he's going to end up with another team. So I think, uh, I really think the question for the Ravens is why did the Ravens not extend him before the market jumped up? Like th there were certain things, obviously that Lamar Jackson was looking for, um, and those things change as other contracts get signed. And they were in a position where they probably could have extended him when the market was in the 40s to where they could have done that. So I, I think they probably dragged their feet too long on it. And that's why the numbers got to where they ended up getting to. And uh, I think they did not do a good job of um, assessing where the market was headed uh, before they got down this whole franchise tag path with everything else. Colin, regarding the Fitzgerald Spielberger draft value chart, what do you think is the most misunderstood part by novices, industry professionals? Um, so I think the thing that's most misunderstood about it, and I, I don't even know if misunderstood is the, um, the right way to put it. I, I think it's more just... Um, the chart is really meant to be dynamic. And I think, and we, we don't even use it that way. Like when we talk about trades, talk about blind trades and doing that stuff, you know, sometimes 
you know, when the picks are made, typically on a trade up when a pick is made, you know, I, I, I get into, um, you know, the, the draft value numbers, um, you know, to where you, you take those numbers, all right, and those numbers correspond to a percentage or whatever. And if you draft a, you know, a quarterback, you'd say, okay, the, you know, number five pick in the draft, whatever, whatever point value that it, that it is. And I don't know. Off the top of my head, I have no idea what our number is on that, and I'm too lazy to look it up. Um, you know that 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 is that can translate to a percentage, and that percentage is the percentage of the the top five values right now. So you would say that you know that player is probably worth if the if he's a quarterback, you know probably be the equivalent of a player who's forty million dollars. Um, you know would would be your expectation, which would be a well, it'd be Daniel Jones. <laughs> Not a good thing, but, uh, you know, that that's just the, the nature of the, where the quarterbacks are. But let's say where Daniel Jones was playing last year, where you, you looked at him and you said, okay, there's promise there or whatever. Um, you know, so I, I think that's one of the things that's missed with it is that you should, you can and you should um, use it from a dynamic standpoint to say, if we are trading up into this, into this particular position, like, what's our expected return? Because it might be more than what that number is, or it might be a lot less than what the number is if you're trading up for, like, a linebacker or something. Um, so I, I think that's that's more something. It's probably not misunderstood. I think it's just missed. Um, you know, and then I think the other thing that's um, misunderstood, if, again, if you even want to call it that, um, I think when you get into, you know, methodologies of it, I think people miss the fact that this was just based on raw numbers. Um, you know, that it's just strictly based on past results. Now, it's it's from a, a sample period of the draft. And, you know, if Brad and I ever get the time to update it, you know, we can obviously expand it out much further and, um, you know, take a look at it. But, you know, we took ourselves out of the equation when we when we came up with doing it this way this is not jason and brad are evaluating draft picks this is not anything related to that this is us saying okay i'm letting the nfl evaluate the draft pick like if if somebody wants to tell me that leonard williams is worth 21 million dollars a year or whatever the giants paid him fine that tells me that pick number five or pick number six whatever he, he was that year with the jets um he's worth you know that pick that particular year was worth at the time you know probably 115 percent of the top you know top five players on the interior defensive line right he, he was probably the number two paid player at that position you know aaron donald would have been number one um, you know, so if you take the average top five, it was over that. So, you know, that's what that tells me. And, you know, I'm, I'm letting the NFL tell me, I, I am letting the experts in the NFL tell me that, you know, pick number 20 in a given year was, you know, only worth on a veteran scale, $6 million at a position where top players make 25 million. Um, I am letting the NFL tell me that, you know, 
pick 200 uh, happened in a given year to be worth, you know, $2.3 million because he's a core special teams guy. Um, you know, I, I think that, that that gets missed because people think that you create and you, you manufacture methods of player evaluation and, you know, you, you get the things, you know, stick to the numbers, nerd, <laughs> you know, all that, all that silly stuff that comes out to you. And it's just like, well, what are we talking about? I, th- this is numbers. Um, you know, and th- that's probably not even something misunderstood. That's probably people that were just kind of ignorant of stuff and they don't like when you criticize a trade-up, um, you know, for their favorite team. You know, again, that's getting into the fandom aspect I was talking about before where you can't have a rational discussion about anything. Um but I, I think people do miss sometimes that it's strictly and solely based on past performance that is, it, it, yeah, it's somewhat subjective, right? Because teams are all going to have different opinions, um, you know, on players. And obviously there, there's a bit of a bias when you extend your own players sometimes. Um, but it's not like manufacturing some random statistics to fit a narrative that, you know, you, you just want to be mean to this team. Like, it, it, there's nothing remotely like that in there. Terrell, Dak has all the leverage. What numbers do you see for his next contract? Um, let me just pull up here. You know, Joe Burrow is at 55. You know, it, it's a weird one, um, the Burrow thing, a little bit different. Um, but, you know, probably somewhere in that... Hit, Dax is going to be different because Dallas is not going to go five years. I don't know if they'll go four or they'll go three. Um, you know, I, I think uh, he does have a lot of leverage. He's made a lot of money. I don't know if he'll get to 60. Um, based on where the market is right now. Um, depends on what Jacksonville maybe does with Lawrence, um, you know, in there. I would say, you know, argument that I, I would probably look at here is if Burrow, if uh, Burrow was 2.5 million a year over the next closest, um, I would probably look at that and say, okay, so Dak should be three over Burrow. Like that's a, that's a similar growth point. Um, you know, would you get him to 58? But, you know, I'm sure the initial ask should be 60, um, you know, based on where the numbers are right now, um, you know, and kind of go from there. But he'll, he'll be somewhere in that range. I mean, you know, when the numbers get that high, I mean, we're really splitting hairs um, when it comes to that. Flip, seeing a lot of players demanding the release from contracts during the season they're being granted. Is this happening more this year compared to years past? Why are teams allowing it to happen with no monetary penalties? Um, so, while well, certainly it's not widespread, uh, yeah, this is happening more often, um, I would say, than in the past. Um, you know, I think... When we uh, when we look at a lot of these players, you know, you, you get players that 
and this runs both ways, you don't have loyalty from players anymore. You don't have loyalty from organizations. Um, there's so much turnover now in the, the front of the leagues, you know, front offices. There's a lot of turnover. Uh, coaching staffs, there's a ton of turnover. And you understand that your windows of winning are pretty short. And sometimes, even though you kind of play for that contract, like Zach Ertz, I think would be a perfect example of this. Zach Ertz, I think, felt slighted by Philadelphia, that they were not going out of their way to um, probably make him the highest paid tight end in the NFL or, you know, somewhat close to it, um, you know, on a contract that he thought he deserved. Um, because I think Philadelphia looked at him as probably a trending down player, and they, they said that, you know, they have a younger guy that they're kind of bringing behind him, and they would move on. So, you know, you, you get upset with your team, and you go to the, the grass is always greener, right, the other side, and you go and you find a team that's willing to pay you, which he found in Arizona, and things very quickly fall apart in Arizona, and you, you look at your old teammates still having a great time in Philadelphia that's being competitive, they're winning, and it's almost like, I just want to go back there. I want to go back to something like that. And that's not what we have here. This isn't the coach that I, I came in for. This isn't the general manager I signed with. Like, just let me go. Um, and I, I think that's a lot of what's what goes on on both sides right now. Um, you know, I think that's a reason why the kind of the loyalty is less on the team end. Um, you know, you bring in a new GM, they have almost no attachment to the players that were ready here. You know, they, they, they just look to purge the roster many times. And, um, you know, if you're getting towards the end of the year and a veteran player doesn't want to be there, you know, you don't really even want to deal with the headache in the locker room. It's just like, you know what, if you want to go, like go, um, you know, it's let's just come to an agreement on this and, uh, you know, let's move on. But I, I do think that this is something that's happening more and more, um, you know, in the league. And, you know, I know a lot of people, oh, you know, that's the leverage the players have. Somewhat, you know, but it, it's not to that level yet. Um, you know, teams are obviously agreeing with these things. Um you know, I, I think the question when it comes to people talking about the player empowerment um, is, you know, when more really good players on a good football team start asking to, to go and, you know, you end up just, you know, trying to band-aid the situation and making everybody happy. Carlos, how much is Otani signing for and for, uh, and for who? Sorry, wrong sport. Yep. Uh, PG-13. How much cap space are the Raiders projected to have in 2024 by cutting Jimmy? Uh, carrying over this year's space and recovery of Chandler Jones's money, is there any injury clause in Jimmy's contract where he's only guaranteed part of his 24 contract? No. Um, so on the second part, they took that injury uh, protection out. Um, I don't really know why, but they, they did. Um, I believe his, his salary is now free and clear. Um, so I, I don't. I think that guarantee is no longer... Uh, sorry, I'm just checking something here. Um, yeah, I think that guarantee is no longer a uh, something that can, you know, be lost. Um, I don't know how much of Chandler Jones they're going to recover. I don't think they'll recover anything. Um, 
get a guarantee. He's also got termination pay um, that would supersede the guarantee if the guarantee was void because he was on the Raiders' active roster for week one. Um, I don't know if the Raiders went through any kind of process through everything that went on there to say he wasn't eligible for that because you, you do have to do that. You do actually have to go through a process of um, you know, telling the player that he's basically not performing up to the standards that would you would expect. And because of that, this is a warning that he could risk uh, losing his privileges for termination pay because of that. I don't know if they really went through that stuff. My guess is they did not. Um, you know, so um, we'll see. But now if they, uh, let's see, the Raiders, how much they projected to have. Um, all right, let's take a look here. Let me do the Raiders. Let's see. Whoops. There's a Raiders cap space. That's what I'm looking for, not the calculator. And my internet has decided it doesn't want to work. There we go. All right. So the Raiders. Now we have carryover in there. Like a this is like a estimate. Very estimated number um you know so they have about 66 million in cap room that's top 10 ish in the league um that's not including full roster uh but you know top 10 in the league is where they would be um cutting jimmy would open up nothing <laughs> so they'll still be top 10 in the league when uh if they just move on from him, you know, they, there's there's really nothing there um, that they would pick up. Um, you know, the the one that you would pick up something on is trading. No, nah, even trading Devontae Adams doesn't really get you much. So, you know, the the decisions that they're going to have next year on some of those players are probably not really going to impact their cap that much. It's more just going to be decisions about what they can and can't get in draft capital. Um, you know, now long term, you know, if that's what we're looking at, if they if they do, you know, if they do promote, like in other words, if, um, you know, interim coach just becomes head coach, which they may do because they might feel like the last time they screwed up, um, that might not be so much planning on the long term because you, you probably know you're on a short leash. Um, but if, if you do bring in somebody new, um, they probably look at that, and even though Garoppolo doesn't save them any money by cutting, someone will look at that in the long term and say, okay, yeah, it doesn't save us anything in 2024, but we'll be in a much better position in 2025 if we get rid of him in 2024. Um, you know, they would probably look at it and say, if we can get a second and a fourth for Devontae Adams, we're probably in a better position than paying him next year. Um, so, you know, the, a lot of the decisions they have are going to depend on what type of hire they make. Cindy, how easy is it for the Cardinals to trade Kyler Murray if they want to draft a quarterback? That's a good question. Um, so, I would guess, let's pull up Kyler Murray's page here. So, you know, he's played okay um, since coming back. So, you know, I, the first question is, how many teams are going to be interested and you know what what are those costs going to be so the costs next year would be 37.85 million 
Uh, the cost in 2025 would be about 30 million. Um, the cost in 2026 would be, let's see, 22, 39, about 40 million. Um, I can just run in the cash due here. Yeah, 42 million in 2026, uh, 36 and 27, 46 and 28. You know, those numbers are low enough to where I think teams would look at this and say, okay, kind of like Detroit right now with Jared Goff, right? That those salaries um, relative to what other quarterbacks make when you actually have to sign a player, um, you know, to an extension at $55 million a year in new money, the Cardinals have already picked up a lot of that bill. So you're looking at a player that would cost you 38 32-6, 42-5 over the next three years. Um, that's pretty workable. You know, and you can manipulate the numbers however you want on the salary cap. You know, that's pretty workable. Now, he does have these rolling guarantees um, to where, you know, you, you start running these risks where, you know, 26 is 27 guaranteed, uh, 27 salary is guaranteed. So, you know, that that's the, that's the one risk that exists with that contract is that, you know, you're making a commitment that is probably a four-year commitment, um, you know, to him. But, you know, as long as you believe he can stay healthy and that he's committed to, um, you know, football versus Call of Duty or Fortnite or whatever games they, they were thinking he was playing, um, you know, th this is a very reasonable contract to bring on. Um, but you just you just have to ask yourself, you know, do you want him for four years? Because that's probably what it is. You know, that that's the same question. This was a, a very little discussion that I, I saw on uh, Twitter this week. Um, we were discussing Russell Wilson a little bit. And it's like, you know, the Broncos right now are finding ways to win football games more in spite of their offense than anything else. Like, they, they, it's amazing that they're winning some of these games and it's like okay well they're winning they might make the playoffs um you know obviously that means russell wilson is you know safe for next year and it's like you got to look at this from the perspective of the coach is basically coaching in many ways i think around the quarterback um but even if he's not i think we can all agree that russell wilson is not really a top tier quarterback anymore and i'm not saying he's being paid like a top tier quarterback either but you're opting into two years of him. You know, if you say he's my quarterback next year, it means he's also your quarterback in 2025 because that's the nature of his contract. His contract is, if I'm on the roster in March of 24, well, now my salary is guaranteed in 2025. So you might look at this and say, you know, this is not sustainable for us. Like, we, we can't lock ourselves into two years of Russell Wilson. Like, we, we need a different option. Now, you know, the, the, the other side of the coin is you have to determine what the, that option is because you don't want to be like the Raiders who say, okay, well, you know, we don't want Derek Carr anymore. You know, I, I made a mistake extending him. I really don't like him. You know, talking about the, the coach. Um, 
And what we're going to do is we're going to opt into another quarterback where we kind of lock ourselves into two years of that quarterback, and it's just a lateral move. Um, you know, that doesn't do you any good. So it's like if I'm going to cut Russell Wilson and, you know, just go out there and sign Jimmy Garoppolo, it's like, okay, what's the point? Um, you know, that, then you, you, you can get into that discussion. But, you know, in terms of uh, someone like a Kyler Murray, it's the same kind of thing. It's do you want to commit to, you know, essentially four years based on the guarantee structure? Um, you know, so it's 24 salary is already guaranteed. 25 salary becomes guaranteed in 24. Um, 26 salary becomes guaranteed in 25. And 27 uh, salary becomes guaranteed in 26. So, you know, that that's the, that's the kind of... Um, you know, question that you have to ask yourself if you're interested in trading for him. So you have to be pretty confident that, you know, he's your guy for four years. Um, you know, that now that might work, um, you know, for you when discussing a trade, you know, because you can bring up the point that, you know, we're making a four-year commitment to this guy. We're not going to overpay you because we're saving you the burden. You don't want him. And right now, the way his contract is structured, you're stuck with him for four years. And we already know you don't want him. So, you know, I think that can actually help a little bit in negotiating a trade package. But, you know, you, you have to be very confident that this is your guy. Black Gold, do you think CD has a chance to out earn Jefferson over the next few years with the tag uh, this year that he leverages to a better deal? Um He's not as good of a player as Justin Jefferson. Um, the only way that he would have a chance to out-earn him would be if Jefferson signed first and he was able to use that in a negotiation with Dallas. Um, I think that would be difficult. I'm not, I'm not sure that that would be the... Uh, easiest thing to do. I almost feel like Jefferson is going to create a cap on the market versus like a, a new starting point. Um, you know, this is different than Nick Bosa, where I think Nick Bosa is a starting point. I think Jefferson is a f end point. Um, so I, I can't say there's no chance, but I, I would say it's a pretty small chance that that happens. Jake, uh, for the big-name quarterbacks who got hurt, do any teams have insurance? If they do, how does it affect their cap? Is there a way to know which teams have insurance before the quarterbacks get hurt or not? Um, I don't really know. Um, I usually find out after the fact. Plenty of teams take out insurance on the players. Um, basically, to get a salary cap credit, you actually have to um, put in the contract itself the fact that you have an insurance policy, what the amounts are that are insured for each of those years, and I think you have to make a copy of the policy available to the Players Association. I think that's the rules with it. Um, there's a possibility. You know, a lot of contracts will just have a blanket statement that, you know, team has insurable interest in the player, um, which they might have. You know, like I know the Jets, for example, have a clause in Aaron Rodgers' contract that says, 
they have an insurable interest in the player. However, um, to the best of my knowledge, they never actually got one. Um, and if they did, it's not the type that you would get a salary cap credit for because it's not listed in his contract. So any proceeds they would get, yeah, that would help the Jets' bottom line in terms of paying stuff out, but it would not help them with the salary cap. The The NFL wouldn't look at that as something that um, causes a reimbursement. Um, you know, sometimes when the insurance policies are kind of unique, like Colin Kaepernick's, for example, where they made him pay the premiums, um, or, you know, where, where it's a just kind of a, a specific player, um, you know, where it comes up and, you know, like uh, kind of like the way Jimmy Garoppolo with the injury stuff happened. Um, those kind of things usually leak out, um, you know, when that happens. But I feel like that's pretty rare. Uh, now, when teams do have the type of insurance that impacts the salary cap, uh, basically, it, it impacts in two ways. So one is the player's individual cap hit, and the other one is the adjusted cap number for a team. So what the NFL does is they will go in there and they'll take the um, the proceeds that come. Let, let, let's say I have a signing bonus that has insurance on it. And typically, you would insure like the proration for the year or some percentage of it or something like that. Um so let's say a player got a $20 million signing bonus, all right? And, um, you know, he has $4 million insured for this year uh, because that's his, you know, um, proration on the year. Let's just say that that's, that's the way that it worked out. Um, and he missed the whole season. Team gets back $4 million um, in insurance. The NFL will go in there and they'll revalue the signing bonus. Um, so, you know, the, they'll take that signing bonus and they'll take $4 million out of it. And they'll say the proration from the contract, um, you know, instead of $4 million, uh, you know, per year, um, you know, should be, uh, uh, what would it be? Um, you know, closer to three at that point. Um, a little bit more than that, probably like three, five or something, something along those lines. Um, you know, they, they, they would take that down. So basically instead of 20 divided by five, you'd have 16 divided by five. Um, you know, and that that's the way that that would, uh, that would work. So his proration would go to that and then you would get a credit, um, you know, for this particular year, whatever the proration is that would have gone to that year. So let's say 4 million, you know, Rated over the five seven fifty, um, you know the what you would do with that is the team would get an adjustment on their salary cap the next year. Um, you know that that would be the uh, seven hundred fifty thousand, and that would that would be the amount of money that counted on your salary cap in the proration for twenty twenty three. That that's the per, that's the portion of it that should have been refunded in twenty twenty three. So you would see it in the adjustment and you would see it in that. Now, if a team just has paragraph five salary insured, then you would only see that in the adjustment. That doesn't impact the, the numbers. It's the signing bonus, option bonus kind of stuff that uh, 
impacts the cap numbers for the players. The other ones are the adjusted cap. So a lot of times when the numbers come out on what's a team's adjusted cap, right? the adjusted cap is made up of two things. It's made up of uh, carryover that we know we can look at um, OTC and we can get a pretty good idea as what the carryover was from the prior year. And, um, you know, adjustments that come from like incentives and just other kinds of stuff. Um, when you see a team that has like a big number in adjustments, uh, you know, in the, the positive direction for the team, it might mean that they had a player that got hurt that they had insured um, and that that showed up on, on that. And I think a couple of years ago, Detroit, um, they probably had insurance on um, who's the guy they signed from the Patriots. Um, uh, name escapes me right now. Um, you know, he was just hurt a lot. Um, you know, they, they have insurance on a player like that. And, you know, that gets you uh, money. And cap relief. All right, shoes. Uh, looking back at it, it would have been better for the Panthers to include um, Brian Burns and keep DJ Moore to help the quarterback development, or should it not matter? So there was no reason for the Panthers to keep Burns. When the Rams made that stupid offer, I don't know how the Panthers said no. Like, that doesn't make any sense. This is where you fall into the... Now, here here I'm going to criticize Carolina. Um, this is where you fall into the trap where you go into this thing like, oh, well, you know, if it's a pick in the future, you know, you got to discount that by a round. And, you know, why? Why discount all of that by a round? Look at where you are right now. What would you rather have? You know, if you didn't get the pick in 2023 and you only got it in 20, wouldn't you rather have that first round pick in 2024 seeing how much you suck this year? You know, would you look at that? Let's say the Rams pick is 15, if that's what it would have been in 2024. Would you look at that in 2024 and go, yeah, that, that, that's really like having the 45th pick in the draft. Yeah, yeah, I'm picking 15, but really it's a 45. Like, no! Don't do it that way. You know, that that... That's like a, a big miss by a lot of front offices in the NFL um, is that devaluation of the draft pick, you know, by like a round or multiple rounds if it's in the future. In the NBA, teams look at that stuff as gold because even though it's far in the future, it's still a great pick. You know, it's still a great pick to have. It's better than, um, you know, having that. So, you know, that was... Uh, you know, that, that was just terrible from them. Um, I don't think keeping DJ Moore would have helped their quarterback develop anymore. Um, you know, you, you obviously would have had a benefit of um, having a better quarterback, you know, situation. Um, I'm sorry, a better receiver room. But I, I don't think it helps that much. I think it usually works the other way around. Um, my opinion from watching football is that, uh, you know, the great quarterback can kind of make a mediocre receiver look really good. Um, the great quarterback with the great receiver has a, everybody gets a special season when that happens. Um, the great quarterback probably can't lift up a bad receiver. Um, you know, they can lift them up a little bit, 
uh, to where, you know, maybe Mahomes playing with like a, a Miko Hardman can make Hardman look not like a total bust, um, you know, but probably is never, and you, and you could see they, they don't give playing time to a lot of their guys in Kansas City because of that. They're just a lot of inconsistencies and stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's just like a cycle that they, they try to run through there. Um, I think that's what kind of what happens. Um, I think you can usually see when ri- wide receivers more or less have talent, even though the, the quarterback is suspect. Um, you know, like what would a Jefferson look like with Zach Wilson? So Jefferson's not going to put up the numbers that he does if he's playing with somebody like Zach Wilson. But you would also see Jefferson getting open down the field and probably making some big plays. Um, you know, and you, you would see him on some awful, awful, awful throws making plays on the football. Um, you know, very similar to, you know, Garrett Wilson, um, where, you know, you can see from some of the ways that he bails out Zach Wilson, you know, even though I got on him a little bit before about, um, you know, some drops and stuff here and there, you know, you see that skill, um, you know, just based on the way that they, they're able to, you know, manufacture catches um, with the subpar quarterback. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of the stuff that happens. But I think uh, wide receivers rarely make a quarterback. Um, you know, wide receivers can be productive, uh, even with a subpar quarterback play, like DeAndre Hopkins, you know, you look at his career. Um but I don't think that you can uh, kind of get to that. You don't get to the next level as a wide receiver for the most part. And they're certainly not going to lift the quarterback up. You know, you need, there, there's too many things that you need in today's NFL. You can't just have one great receiver and expect that guy to carry a football team. Like It's just not going to happen. Jason, uh, for Dak's next contract, he has leverage. Do you think he goes for a three- or four-year contract, both with void years? I think that's really going to be up to Dallas. I'm sure he wants a three at this age. Kind of doesn't really make too much of a difference. Um, You know, he signs a three-year deal, probably can get extended. Four-year deal, probably can still get extended, you know, depending on the way that you, um, you know, you structure that contract. Um, I think it's going to be up to Dallas. But I think if I, I think I'd opt for the three year if uh, that might help me with cash flows and maybe some of the ways to keep um, maybe some of the guarantees down a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think I would do that. Hamburglar, how bad do you see Rogers' contract being for the next three years for the Jets? Uh, I don't think that'll really be much of an issue. Um, you know, when it's time for Rogers to leave, I think he'll restructure the deal to let the Jets spread that cap hit out over two years. So I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think the only way that there would be a issue would be if the Jets made the decision they wanted to move on from him next year and he said no. But I don't see that scenario playing out at all. So um, I, I think that it, it, it'll it be fine. What a fun guy. Uh, whose contract will the Cowboys want to use to base Parsons' contract on? What does agents want to use? I think... You know, Parsons so good. I mean, everybody's just going to agree that Nick Bosa is what you build off of. It's just a question of how far do you build off of Nick Bosa. Um, you know, like Dallas coming in there, I'm just pulling up the edges here. 
Dallas coming in there and bringing up like Joey Bosa like makes no sense. You know, or TJ Watt. It's like the number is 34. Um, you know, I think the the issue that you come up with here and, you know, I, I'm sure again, you know, what you look at because the, the numbers are different. Um, you know, I think you could probably make a, a case which is not going to go anywhere. But you would say that uh, Bose is a $6 million raise per year over uh, Watt. So, therefore, Parsons should be worth $40 million a year. Um, you know, the counter on that is that Aaron Donald is ready at 32. So, really, this is more of a $2 million raise. So, we're willing to go to 36. Um, you know, and I am sure that somewhere in there you'll hear some ridiculous posturing of... Um, Daniel Jones is $40 million a year. Parsons is a hell of a lot more valuable than Daniel Jones. Therefore, he's worth more money. And, you know, you'll say, well, you know, he's not worth as much as Josh Allen. So we'll say 42.5. This always happens, um, you know, with players, you know, Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas, you know, it's like, oh, you should be like paid like quarterbacks. Um, you know, and you, you get that with defensive players here and there too. Um, you know, where the quarterback, the defense, where as valuable as a, you know, a quarterback, um, that probably isn't going to go anywhere, but it'll, it might be a point. Um, the only thing is, you know, just from seeing the little bits and pieces of things that, uh, Parsons posts on Twitter, um, you know, I, I don't, for some reason, I don't see it being like very contentious. I think that this is just going to be a, uh, a deal that kind of comes together as long as everybody is on the same page with, um, you know, at least a reasonable range of outcomes uh, when it comes to the salary. Terrell, projected Kirk Cousins contract for me, one year, 30 guaranteed to Atlanta with no tag in 25. So Cousins already kind of has a de facto no tag um, because he was tagged two times by Washington. Um... You know, the, the clause really for him is mainly no transition tag. Um, his is going to be real interesting coming off injury. Um, I mean, it could, it, you could get something like that. You know, the it Cousins should be aiming for 40, but, you know, off that injury, who knows? Um, you know, you can build up a contract with a lot of incentives. Um you know, based on performance. And Cousins has had so much money guaranteed to him through the years. And we saw him take less this year. He could have he could have exerted a lot of leverage on Minnesota and did not. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe that's a possibility doing something like that because it's just going to add to the guaranteed total, which is kind of like it adds to the legend of Kirk Cousins. Um, so maybe something like that would happen. Uh, Jason Stark, if Joe Douglas isn't fired, do you think he trades a, f a first for Devontae Adams? Um, and spends on David Bakhtiari and wrecks the team for the near future. So, um, I'm pretty sure Joe Douglas is going to be back if Aaron Rodgers is back. If that's the case, they will, they'll make moves for these players. Um, I think Bakhtiari will get a contract that's very similar to the one that he gave Dwayne Brown, um, which was a bad deal. Um, probably a little bit more than that. 
Bakhtiari's always hurt, so I'm not a big fan of doing something like that, but I think that's a possibility. I don't think he would trade a first for Devontae Adams. Um, I think he would probably trade a number two um, for Adams. Now, obviously, Jets aren't going to have a number two next year because that's going to go for Rodgers, so it might be a future number two. Um, you know, maybe you could put a condition on there about it jumping somehow to a one. Um, but I do not think he will give up a first-round pick for Devontae Adams. But I do think they, they would bring him in. But, um, you know, uh, if we talk about devaluing picks, maybe give one in the future. But I, I don't think so. I think it would end up being a two at some point. Brian, welcome back. Uh, can you project Jeremy Chin's contract and what position he might want to play if he leaves Carolina? Well, I'm pretty sure he's going to play safety. Um, he's been banged up the last two years, right? He missed a lot of games this year. Missed... Seven games last year, eight games, something like that. Um, I think, right? Yeah, I, I, I would guess, you know, you, you're comparable would be someone like a Marcus May. Um, what did May sign for with New Orleans? 7-5, you know, I, I feel like that's where you would be. Um, you know, Justin Reed's a 10-5. I mean, that that's reasonable number two. Um you know, just off the top of my head, you know, you, you're coming off of some injuries and, uh, you know, stuff like that. I, you know, safety is a, um, it's a lot of safeties available. And it, it's a it's a hard position to project because there are good players who probably hold out for too much money. And because there's so many available players, teams quickly move on. And I think that's kind of the mistake that, that happens when... You know, as you drop down, if you, you can see the list that I have here, um, you know, you, you drop down in some of these numbers where you get into the $4 million range and you, know, you look at some of the player names and you're like, oh, you know, that, that, that guy's a pretty good player. And it's like, yeah, they're pretty good players. The problem is, um, you know, instead of valuing themselves at $5 million, you know, like a Xavier Woods, $5 million or something like that. You know, maybe they could have gotten to seven, but when they got a seven million dollar offer, they were probably valuing themselves at ten, and they were like, "Well, no, I don't, I don't want to play unless you sign me for ten million. And then you know, a team comes around and they they find another player that they like, and they sign them for eight seven five, or they sign them for seven five, and now your market's shot. So I think that happens a lot at that position, um, you know, and so I I think that uh, that makes it very difficult sometimes to project numbers for the players because I I think it's not that hard to come up with a range that the player is reasonable at. But if he tries to play hardball, you know, or tries to, you know, take his time trying to negotiate this deal, thinking he's going to get more and more and more, I think because of the nature of that position, it's very easy for a team to turn around and go, you know, screw it. Let's just go to somebody else where it's just easier to get a deal done. Um, you know, that's very different than, say, a pass rusher, where there's maybe one pass rusher available a year. Um, you know, when that's the situation, it's like, well, you know, we really want this guy. And if he's going to drag his feet, let's keep engaging because there's no other options. You know, that's why the Bears traded what they did for Sweat. You know, they, they, I'm sure they looked at that and they said, well, there's no options in free agency. So, you know, whatever we're going to do with him, that's what we're going to do. All right, a couple more questions. I'm going to call on a night here. So we have really labored through these. The Michelob Ultras here. Um, 
right, let's see. Let me just go to the bottom of this. B1 Joe. Uh, what NFL quarterback would you best in the Dr. Pepper tuition challenge? It would be worse. I haven't watched a second of that, so I have nothing I can say about that thing. Um, Zach, how much money, if any, did Cousins lose when his Achilles snapped? Probably a lot. Um, you know, you, you may have gone from a surefire three-year deal, two years of it guaranteed, to maybe doing a one-year contract. Um, you know, or maybe a very incentivized deal. Um, maybe that's a two or three year deal, but very incentivized. Maybe something that runs similar to that Garoppolo deal where you've got um, a lot of conditionals on, you know, injury based on that Achilles. Um, you know, so I, I think it was a, it's really unfortunate and it, it's, it's terrible, um, you know, when that happens. Jake, uh, what's worse for a team, drafting a terrible quarterback, Zach Wilson, or passing on a generational quarterback for an average outcome, passing on a Mahomes for a lineman or something like that? Um, Hmm. So, from a process standpoint, um, the latter is far worse. Passing on the generational quarterback for an average outcome is far worse. All right, swinging for Zach Wilson and missing is what it is. However, here's the issue: when you draft a quarterback like Zach Wilson. 90% of the time, you double down on Zach Wilson. Meaning, even though the money is not very big in the in the contracts anymore, Zach Wilson is quarterback one in year one. He's quarterback one in year two. He's quarterback one in year three. Then in year four, it's like, all right, maybe we'll bring in a low-level competition. And, you know, he's quarterback one, but he's on a short leash. Um you know, that's that's the trap that teams fall into. That makes drafting Zach Wilson more dangerous because if I pass on Mahomes for, I don't know, a guard, um, I still may at least take my shot at a quarterback the next year or the year thereafter. Now, you, you're never going to get another Mahomes, <coughs> but, you know, at least you have an opportunity to get another quarterback. Now, the Jets did make the move for Aaron Rodgers, but, I mean, Aaron Rodgers 40 years old. Um, it's not a long-term solution. And even then, the Jets still were doubling down on Zach Wilson, right? They didn't want to move on. They, they were under this pipe dream that, oh, don't worry, Rodgers will fix Zach Wilson. Okay? Um, you know, if that's what you want to say. So, in, in concept, um, drafting a terrible quarterback is better than, um, you know, drafting just you know, guard, linebacker, running back, you know, any of those kind of safety, really, to be honest, any position um, over the quarterback, if the quarterback has, you know, if you have a need for a quarterback and or the quarterback has any kind of possibility of being a number one, um, you know, way worse. But the way that teams approach the quarterback position uh, with the young player, uh Drafting a terrible quarterback probably has a worse impact on the team because teams are still working under the uh, kind of under the guise that um, it used to be like, you know, when I mentioned Jamarcus Russell before, as if you have what would be the equivalent of a 40 or $45 million a year investment over the next four years guaranteed for that player, when the reality is you've signed him to, you know, a four-year contract worth 
thirty million dollars, you know, in total. Um, you know, not a hundred sixty million dollars guaranteed. All right, last question, I believe. Uh, not sure if to your point of a contract predictions for upcoming free agents, but what's your best guess for a Kirk Cousins contract? A lot of Kirk Cousins tonight. Um, you know, the the person that mentioned a one year thirty guaranteed, I could see that. You know, it would have some kind of incentives. Um, you know, in there as well that can bump that salary up. I, I think any kind of package that he would have would probably have the capability to um, max out at something like forty or forty-five if the, you make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Um, but I, I could definitely see doing a one-year deal. Um, if he does something longer term, it'll probably follow a similar path as the Garoppolo deal, where it'll have a lot of um, you know injury protection. If something happens with that Achilles again, um, you know, but it'll be worth more than that. But, you know, you, you might be looking at a, a deal that it does have a base value similar to what he's at now, which is about $35 million a year. And if that Achilles never gets injured, um, I firmly believe he would have made more than that. All right. So I think that's it. I'll just quickly look at my notifications here. But I think these are all questions that I covered. Um Yeah, I think these are all things that uh, I already covered here, so should be good. So uh, let's see what's here. Now these people talking about <laughs> Joe mentioned about the the worst Jets quarterback matchups ever in December. Now that we have uh, Ritter versus um, uh, Boyle or whatever here. But, uh, you know, I mentioned the worst game that I ever attended was Kellen Clemens, Brody Croyle. And I couldn't remember if this was a December or a January game. I did look it up. It was like December 30th. And I can still remember it. I mean, it was just two bad quarterbacks, bad teams. Uh, I think the Chiefs and Jets both had either three wins or four wins at the time going into that game. The game had a four p.m. start. It was a late start, so four p.m. probably, maybe four fifteen. I don't know what they were at that time. Um, it was a four o'clock game, last game of the year. Two teams going nowhere. Kellen Clemens, Brody Croyle. It's cold. It's like a misting rain with occasional flurries in there. And since the game starts at four, it's only feeling colder and colder as the evening goes on. They go to overtime. Both teams completely inept. Uh, the final score, I think, was 13-10. Stayed for the whole game. Tailgate was fun. Game, not so much. There was nobody there. I still remember the game. There were people sitting in front of us. Uh, I think two rows in front of us. Um, our tickets that year, we were in the lower bowl... Our tickets were kind of like between the 10-yard line and the, the front uh, front corner of the end zone, like in that section. I can't remember the section number. Um, and the I, they were two rows in front of us, and they brought an infant um, to this game. <laughs> Be frozen solid. Now, they had, they had the kid there in um, like a... Like it, it almost looked like a snowsuit and just completely wrapped up in blankets. But I can still remember it. And I'm seeing these, the, like some flurries come down. It's so cold. And it's like, man, 
you know, how do you, and we, we, we did, uh, you know, I went to that game with um, my sister, uh, brother-in-law, and my father. And, um, you know, at least I think that's who everybody that went. I know my sister and father were there, uh, probably my brother-in-law. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we're, we're there and I'm just like, I'm sitting there watching like, man, how, how are they doing that with a kid? And like, we don't have kids yet. And even I'm like, this doesn't seem like a good idea. We see a couple snow flurries come down you see the rain and, you know, troopers, you stick it out for those games. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a game, um, you know, that, that one was, you know, something I, I've seen some, I used to love going to the football games. Uh, the first year we had tickets, my friend had season tickets it was 1996, uh, the year the Jets won a game. It wasn't a home game. Um, they were in a couple games, but they always found a way to lose. Um, it was the first game I ever remembered having a rain delay, uh, because you know, there was started the lightning and thunder close to there. And the Jets, I think in that game, were kind of on the verge of scoring. And then um, Kyle Brady, I believe it was, with Jets tight end, fumbled in like a, right around the end zone or something. That gave, that was the Jets' uh, big hope. Uh, but that was the first year we had season tickets. Um, yeah, I got them through my friend there. And then uh, you know, we went to the games for a couple of years and go sporadically. And then we got season tickets again, um, you know, through somebody in... 2002 or was it 2004 now it might have been 2004 it was probably 2004 um yeah i think i was still going to the random games in 2002 you know i go to a couple games on my friends tickets and um you know 2004 we had uh kind of got in uh, someone someone had them but we buy them every year and so we were always in the same seats from um, you know, 2004, pretty much onward until the last year in the old stadium. And then we got our own because a lot of people didn't renew that time. Those were great seats. We were on the 50-yard line for their 45-yard line for that season. That, that was fantastic. Um, but, you know, it was just way too expensive to go into the new stadium. And it was like, you know, I'm not going to bother. I, I can get tickets to a couple of games here and there. Um, we'll do that. But, yeah, I really enjoyed going. And, um, you know, when Jacob gets a little bit older, um, you know, I'm sure we'll go to a couple of a couple of games here and there. Hopefully the Jets will actually be better. Um, right now, though, of course, it's cheaper to get to go. But, you know, it used to be fun, you know, going with the tailgate. And, you know, we didn't go with a big tailgate. We didn't we didn't go into all that. But we had like a our little grill and we had a we had two grills we would take. We had you know, a little grill and then a bigger grill. Uh, you know, we had the TV we would set up and, uh, you know, it was good. Because it, it gives you a chance to, um, you know, go with people from your family and go with all that stuff. And, you know, you hang out for two hours before a game or whatever it might be. Um, you know, hang out, go to the game, have a good time, no matter how bad the Jets were. Um, you know, and then head home after that. So, uh, you know, but the, yeah, that that was a, ooh, 2007 was a season, man. That was a, that was a tough one. Um you know, that was one of those. But, you know, the, the, the Jets took it that year and it was, um, you know, the, the right call for them. You know, they, they made the playoffs in 2006 and they didn't go overboard in 2007 trying to change things. Um, they probably made the quarterback change too early uh, because I think they were trying to 
manufacture something out of Kellen Clemens that clearly was never there. Um, you know, and they kind of let Pennington be the fall guy for some stuff. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a, oh that was a game. Um, anyway, trip down memory lane. So uh, all right, everybody, have a great week. Hopefully, I'll be back again next weekend. Um, you know, and we'll we'll do another one of these. So everybody, have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.